What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. Good morning. Hi. The kids know what to do, at least. Kids always know what to do, right? They like, if, if they say clap, then you clap. If kids, uh, if you say like jump, the kids are like, okay, uh, we'll, we'll jump as high as you want us to jump. Watch how high I can jump. Kids always know exactly what to do. So I'm thankful that kids are here in the room. Otherwise, I would have said good morning and it would have been just crickets. So uh, that's, that's nice. Uh, my name is Brian. I am uh, the pastor here at Restoration. I'm so glad you guys are here for Resurrection Sunday. This is uh, kind, of, kind of like the Super Bowl for Christianity. Like it's, it's like the, the, big, the big deal. That one and Christmas. So you need kind of both of them um, to, to go hand in hand. And we're excited that you are all here with us on Easter Sunday in a brewery. Who knew, right? That's kind of cool if if this may be your first time here. I mean, church in a brewery, you could get used to this a little bit, maybe, I bet. Um, We certainly have here at Restoration. We've been here since September, and uh, we wanted to find a place that would be um, just able for people to come in however they were, uh, whatever background they come from. We wanted to just throw away every single facade that you would, you would have walking into a church building. I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, and so uh, for me, it was like you had to dress up going to church on Sunday. You had to make sure that you had everything, uh, all the answers right. There, is, there, there were no secret handshakes. There never are, but there were some words that you had to know what to say. It wasn't just called a lobby. It was called a foyer. It wasn't just like there was a lot of weird, weird things that we had to do as a Baptist church, and so here it's like, oh, let's go to the brewery and, and have church. We know the brewery. We've been to the brewery, and and uh, we like the brewery, so we wanted to make a space that was very comfortable for people to be able to come into. The second thing we wanted was to make sure that um, we wanted to do our finances a little bit different. And so we wanted to find a building that we wouldn't have to have a whole bunch of building costs associated with the building. Uh, a lot of, and it's, it's a good thing to have a building, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not poo-pooing any of that. Just for us, for who we are, for what we wanted to accomplish, this was like very instrumental in, in what it was. And so I talked to Russ, the owner of Right Brain, and he said, yeah, sure, come on over whenever you want to. And I said, okay, we want to talk about Jesus in the microphones. And he said, yeah, cool, that's fine. I said, but there's going to be people there. It's going to be on a Sunday morning. You'll have to come in a little bit early. Yep, that's totally fine. Come on in. I said, okay, but you do understand this is a church. Like, I'm just making sure that we're very much on the same page. Like, we want to come into your brewery, talk about Jesus, and uh, not just in a small group, not just at a little table, but, like, have people show up. He said, yes, do it. 
And so we came, and he said, uh, I'm not going to charge you a single thing to meet here every single Sunday. And so a lot of people who come to Restoration know that already, but I just wanted to share that story that he doesn't charge us a single thing to be here at, at the brewery, which is awesome because then we can focus more on the community and all the community things that we have going on. So we have two accounts uh, financially. We have an overhead account and we have a community account. Our overhead account is, as you guess, it takes care of our overhead, takes care of staffing and, and any things that we need with the church. And then we have our community account. And anytime you give to Restoration Church, if you don't put anything on there, you just throw a 50 in the, in the change jar, which is right over there. Uh, you write a check, whatever that looks like. You donate online. You select the community account. Anytime you, you just throw money into the, the uh, change jar, that goes directly into our community account. So Restoration Church, we don't see any of that money. It goes back into the community both locally and globally. We partnered with Freedom Builders here locally. We have a benevolent fund that we can help people who have needs. Uh, and we have a special projects fund where we're getting in, in touch and setting up a thing with... Um, who are we setting this up with? We're setting it up with uh, Feeding America, where we're going to be bringing in a food truck uh, here to Traverse City and uh, feeding people all around the city. And then we also partner with Charity Water Globally, which is an organization that you can check out. They fund clean water all across the world. And then an organization called World Orphans that does orphan care all across the globe. So that's where our community account goes. If you guys have any interest in that, uh, feel free to... Um, check all of that out. I wasn't going to go anywhere with this, but I thought, you know what, I might as well introduce some folks to what Restoration Church is all about, so here we go. Um, okay, Easter Sunday, here it is. We made it. Wasn't sure we were going to make it because we, I mean, you never know with, with a COVID-19 type of a year what is going to happen, but here we are. This actually, we didn't have an actual physical Easter service. Um, there, there wasn't a church that had a physical Easter service last year, so it's kind of cool. Like, we, we skipped a year. We did it online. We celebrated online last year, and now we get to actually be here together. Um, and so this is, this is an exciting one, especially for Restoration, because this is literally our first Easter service. So... Um, I used to be a musician, uh, still am, but I don't play it very often. I used to be a worship leader, and uh, when I was on the worship team um, and, and was leading the worship team, I had a few different guitar players, and I would always talk about this one guitar that, that I wanted, that was like my dream guitar. It was uh, a Gretsch guitar, for those of you who know anything about guitars, it, it was a Gretsch and uh, loved this guitar, and, and I wanted a black one. I don't know why I wanted a black one, I just think they're the coolest guitars. And um, so we're at rehearsal one night, and uh, one of the guitar players knows me fairly well, and so he showed up one night, and he had a new guitar. And I said, oh cool, you, you, you got a new guitar, that's awesome. And so he said, yeah, come over here and take a look at it. And uh, I, I go over there at rehearsal after rehearsal was over. And he said, yeah, he wasn't even playing. He just showed up, and he just showed up with his guitar. And um, he comes over, and he's, he, he says, look, look at this guitar. And so I open up the case, and uh, inside is this black Gretsch guitar. And I'm like, dude, I am so jealous of this guitar that you have. And he said, well, don't be jealous. It's yours. I was like, what? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't do well when people give me gifts um, because I'm an introvert. And so I don't know if the excitement on my face is enough. If I've like, do I need to yell? Do I need to scream? How do I interact with a person who's given me a gift as an introvert, right? I just, I don't know how to do it. So 
you know, you shake his hand, give him a high five. I don't, I don't know, you know. I give him some money. I, it's just, it's an awkward situation for me. But he gave me this guitar because he knew exactly what I wanted and exactly what was on my mind. And so, not because he had to give me the gift of the guitar, because he wanted to do this for me. And I wanted to take it from him. And so I did. And, and I still have the guitar today. I, I play the guitar. I was going to steal it if he didn't give it to me, probably. But he, thankfully, he gave it to me. So we didn't have any weirdness going on uh, when he came to play the next time and didn't have a guitar. Um, but he knew exactly what I wanted. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten a gift like that where somebody knows you so well. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent that knows you so well that it's like, man, I, I know exactly what this person wants. I know exactly what this person needs, and I'm going to offer them that gift. If you've ever been on the receiving end of that gift, it, it blows you away, doesn't it? Where it's like, man, this person really knows who I am. They put a lot of thought into this. They didn't just give me a gift card or a, or a, or a thank you note or something like that. This was an actual gift with, with thought behind it. I don't know. To me, that's something special. And we're going to find ourselves in the uh, book of John this morning. I bet you guys can connect the dots already on the gifting, right? <clears throat> we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 20, today. And uh, we're interrupting our series of That Escalated Quickly, where we're going through Genesis. Um, and we interrupt that for Easter. We're doing a message called Prove It. We've been all, for like the last six or seven weeks, it seems like, we've been doing these things called Prove It cards. We're a new church, so we want to prove it to um, the, the, the community around us that we're a church that's going to be doing some things differently. And then on the flip side of that, we're going to uh, make sure that our, our people, the, the church, because the church is the people, are doing things differently. And we're going to prove that we love Jesus. And so we're going to prove it by our actions. And so all, like the last six or seven weeks, we've been doing these prove it cards where people write on a card exactly what they did uh, throughout the week to prove that they were following Jesus. And it's pretty awesome. So that's why this message is called Prove It. We're going to see today how Jesus proved he is who he said he is. We find ourselves in John chapter 20, but before we get to that, I need to introduce the players here in this story. There's a few players here in this story. Number one is Jesus. You probably know a little bit about him. Son of God, lived a perfect life, died on a cross. That's where we've gotten so far, right? That's how you know Jesus, okay? If you don't know who Jesus is, you're in a good place, okay, because you're pure. Next person we have is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is a character you're going to see in this chapter. Mary Magdalene was a person who became a disciple of Jesus after Jesus healed her, uh, cast out demons from her. Seven of them, to be exact. You can find that account in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, that is um, a couple of chapters, um, well, one chapter to the left, if you go back a little bit. So that is Mary Magdalene. She has started to follow Jesus. She has become, oh, that's another thing here about the brewery we have pinball machines and sometimes they go off. So just letting you guys know, it's not, it's, nothing's happening, nothing's exploding, it's just um, we want to play Apollo 13 later and it keeps reminding me that I need to play Apollo 13 later. So, um, so that is Mary Magdalene. Uh, and, and then the next guy we have, you might have heard of this guy, his name is Peter. That one's still going on for a while. Uh, anybody feels like gump, jumping up and unplugging that would be great. Uh, then, next guy we have is, is, is Peter. Now, Peter was one of the first disciples. He was a fisherman. You might know this about him. He also was kind of bullheaded. Peter was a guy who put his foot in his mouth 
often. He was a guy who, th- who, who, who didn't think before he spoke. Anybody like that? Like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that one. Yeah, yeah. Peter was a guy who just kind of said whatever, whatever was on his mind. And, and it got him in trouble a few times. Peter was, was quick to speak, slow to listen. In fact, in, in the Transfiguration, if you know this story at all, Peter was up on the mountain with Jesus when Jesus turned uh, from his, his human self into his God self, and then God spoke, and Moses and Elijah, it's a true story, you can look it up, uh, on either side of Jesus, and they are about to announce who Jesus is, and then Peter pipes up because he thinks the whole thing is about him right? He's like, hey, I think I should speak. There's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and God is speaking from heaven. I think it's time for Petey Pants to say something. No, Pete, it's not time for you to talk. But he talks, and he's like, hey, you guys want some tents? He's, he just wants to make some tents for, for Elijah and Moses and Jesus. Like, I don't know. That's something I would do, right? Like, you get a gift, and it's like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so Peter, it, it kind of just puts his foot in his mouth. He doesn't know when to talk or how to talk. He's, he's very bullheaded. He, he, he's very quick to things. He doesn't think things through. He was the first one to step out on the boat, walk on water, and immediately took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. Now, there's two things to look at that. Number one, Peter is the only other guy besides Jesus to ever walk on water. So he's got that going for him. He's also the only guy to ever sink after walking on water. So he's got that going for him too, right? So that's Peter. He's in this story as well. The next one is John, and that's who wrote this book. And John, John is, is, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and, and we can kind of put an, put an asterisk by that because John wrote the book of John. And so he kept telling himself that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, he's a big deal, right? He, if I write the book of Brian, I'm going to write that Jesus loved Brian the most as well. It's just what's going to happen, okay? So John is, uh, John is a disciple. He was one of the first ones as well, also a fisherman. And he runs on emotion. He's a very passionate person. Him and his brother James were called the Sons of Thunder. And you can imagine why they got that nickname. The Sons of Thunder is what they were called. They just wanted to rain fire on, like somebody was, was doing something wrong. And, and, and uh, John and James were like, should we, should we call fire down? Let's, let's call some fire down right now. Let's just make it happen. Let's, let's get some fireworks on these people. And uh, so that's John. He's a very passionate person. He's all about love. He's also very much about truth. He's very much about truth. And then he learned later on that truth has to go in hand with love. And so when you read the book of John, a lot of it is about love and a lot of it is about truth. If you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which he also wrote, also a lot about love and a lot about truth. He also wrote the book of Revelation, which is very poetic, and it's uh, also a lot of truth. So that is John. We've got the last one is a guy named Thomas. He got the moniker of Doubting Thomas because we're going to find that out in a little bit in this chapter. Doubting Thomas. But Thomas was a very inquisitive person. Thomas was the kind of guy who needed to trust the facts. He needed to know like what the facts were. He needed everything laid out before him before he would actually go through with something. But once he did that, he was a very, very passionate follower. Once he figured out if it was true or not, he would defend you to the death. It even says that. I think it's in, uh, earlier in the book of John. I could be wrong in that, but it's, it's in one of the Gospels. Jesus is going to heal Lazarus in a place called Bethany, which is very close to Jerusalem. And uh, all the disciples were like, we shouldn't go, because this is about the time when, 
when people in Jerusalem were starting to turn on Jesus and the disciples were like, if we go, there's going to be a mob waiting for Jesus because they do not, these Jewish leaders do not like Jesus very much. And Thomas is the only one who speaks up and he says, no, if we're supposed to go, we go. And if we die, we die. You know, it's kind of like the Rocky Ford. If he dies, he dies, right? <clears throat> no, nobody, sorry. Sometimes these things come into my brain and you guys are just going to have to deal with it. Okay. So that's Thomas. He trusts the facts, not opinions, and he's a bit of a pessimist, right? So he is like, well, I guess we're going to die if we go to Bethany, so let's do it. So that's Thomas, a bit of a pessimist. Not much is written about him. He is a twin. Um, it doesn't really talk about his, his twin brother. He probably wasn't that great. So we don't need to worry about Thomas's twin. It's probably a guy named like Kevin or something and just wasn't that cool, right? So <clears throat> read your Bibles, guys, because you don't know what I'm going to say if it's true or not. We say that a few times. Okay, so here we go. That sets up all the, all the players in John chapter 20. Here's the, we're, we're going to set this up. Jesus has been crucified on Friday, Good Friday. We celebrated Good Friday just two days ago. Jesus has been crucified. As far as anybody knows, he's still dead in the tomb. It was stone rolled over it, hard to get out, pretty much difficult, pretty much impossible to get out. So here we are in John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I'm going to stop right there. One, I mean, we're going to read this whole chapter and I'm sorry uh, because I'm stopping in one verse. Here's an interesting thing. For those of you that have have any interest in this whatsoever, uh, that need to prove that Jesus is who he said he is, the first thing that you don't want to do, and this is not an offense to women right now, this is an, uh, about how women were treated back then in, in, in this time frame. Women did not have rights. In fact, women, their, their opinion in the court of law was considered void. You couldn't count on it. You couldn't have a woman testify against anything or for anything in court. Their testimony didn't hold up. It was excused immediately. So the fact that, Je- uh, that John chapter 20, verse 1, starts with a woman saying that she saw the tomb and the stone was rolled away, that the very first witness is a woman, speaks to authenticity of this book. Because if, if you were a disciple and you needed to convince someone that Jesus was alive, that, that the stone was rolled away, in this time you would not start with a woman saying it. And I'm saying that doesn't mean that's what we believe today, okay? That doesn't mean that women don't have rights today. Actually, Jesus was very, very, very much so for the rights of women. You can read all about it. But in this culture, in this time frame, that doesn't make sense to start it out with a woman's testimony. And so that speaks to the authenticity of the writers of this book, that they talked about the facts. Because if they would start it off any other way, they could have skipped verse 1 and went right to verse 2, which talks about Peter and John getting to the tomb. But it starts off with Mary Magdalene saying that the tomb was empty. Verse 2. I won't stop at every verse. So, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I can't, John, come on. We get it, buddy. Okay? Jesus loves everyone. You're not special. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, 
<laughs> but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He is so conceited. He has to throw in whatever he can. Like, just like, oh, I, I outran Peter, just letting you know. I mean, not important to the story at all, but so the record can show that John outran Peter. John's better than Peter. John is loved by Jesus more than Peter. All those things. <laughs> Verse 5. I think that's funny, but... And stooping to look in, it must be a preacher's thing. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. That was John. Then Simon Peter came, probably out of breath, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, <laughs> <clears throat> Just throwing that in there again, in case you guys forgot, in verse 5. <clears throat> also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So here we go, the first bit of the resurrection story, the first bit of that first Sunday morning. And we're going to see that Jesus proved his resurrection. The tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away. <clears throat> There's a couple of clues in here. Number one, the burial clothes. They, they, they bring up the burial clothes, and they say, uh, i got to find the verse again. Verse 6, the second half of verse 6, he saw the linen clothes lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus. Basically what they're saying is that the linen clothes were still in place like there was a body there. The linen clothes were not all tossed about. See, what would happen with the spices and the oils that you would put on a body? You would wrap the body in linen clothes. You would put a whole bunch of spices and oils on it, and that would harden the linen. That linen would get hard, almost like, like a being mummified. And so those, those clothes, those, 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 um, whatever, those linens, would harden up over the body. And what they're noticing is that the face cloth is not just, it's not ripped open, nothing's ripped open. It looks like there should still be a body there, but there is no body. The face cloth is still there, as if it should be on a face, but it's not. So the burial clothes. Did you know that Jesus... His death and resurrection was predicted in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 22, you can read all about it. Psalm chapter 22, which is much, much more before the time of, uh, of, of Rome. Now, Rome didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. We've talked about this before. So this was before crucifixion was ever invented, was ever thought about, and the psalmist David is prophesying about a crucifixion without there ever being a crucifixion before in Psalm 22. Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah, speaks about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's recorded in Isaiah 53. You can go and look it up if you would like to. Before crucifixion was invented, they were talking about crucifixion, that Jesus was going to die on a cross, that his hands and feet were going to be pierced by nails, that his side was going to be pierced, and water and blood was going to flow out of it separately. Did you know that Jesus proved his resurrection by being seen over, by over 500 people? 500 
people saw the resurrected Jesus. That's a good way to prove it. If you uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15, this is the Apostle Paul who also had an encounter with the risen Jesus. A little bit later on, it's when he converts to become Paul. He was Saul before. He has a, a, a miraculous encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he starts following Jesus. He turns from, from killing Christians to finding Christians and, 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 and preaching the gospel. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth in chapter 15, starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. He says most of whom are still alive so that these people, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. A lot of them are still alive and they will recount what happened. They're still alive. You can go ask Thomas's twin if you want to. Kevin, he saw him. Well, <laughs> he's good for nothing. Get, that's not in here, you guys. I just got to preface that. Go ask these people if they saw Jesus. They've got a first-hand account of what happened. If you had 500 witnesses to a first-hand account of something uh, in, in the court of law, if you had 500 witnesses to talk about what actually happened, they would be found guilty or innocent based on those 500. You probably wouldn't even need 500. I, I would say you could probably stop at two or three. But 500 saw the risen Christ. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, that's him, he also appeared to me. He was seen by over 500 people, and not a single one of them denounced the resurrection. See, you have to understand this culturally as well. This wasn't a thing where, um, in America, we can talk about Jesus openly still for a while. We can still talk about Jesus openly. We can, still have, we can still meet in a brewery. We can have church. We can have all of this kind of stuff. But in this time, they wanted to squash this revolution that Jesus had started. They wanted to squash Christianity. And so they were hunting Christians. It was open season for anyone who was a Christian. There's things that happened to Christians in this time. that They were, they were burned at a stake. They were used as lights. There's an account from, uh, I think it was Nero, that, that they were used for Nero's parties. They would use Christians, they would light them on fire and use them as light. There were Christians who were crucified, who were murdered, who were stoned. There's account after account after account in this book. In the book of Acts, you can read all about it. And not a single one of them said, hey, we made that up. We made that up, never mind. You would think one out of the 500 would say, yeah, I'm making this up, this wasn't true. One, just one. We don't have a single account of a single person denouncing the resurrection in this time. If it was all just a hoax, if the disciples had actually taken the body 
then they sure were letting that prank go pretty far. I mean, I'm all for a good prank, but I'm going to stop once people start torturing me and, and wanting to murder me, okay? Like, I, I've done some pranks before, and never have I thought, hey, if, if, no matter what happens, let's keep this prank going. No matter what, I don't care if we get crucified, if we get put onto a cross and nailed to a tree, we are going to keep this prank going because it's going to be hilarious when nothing happens. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Not a single one denounced the risen Savior. Let's keep going. All right. Back into John 20, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So the other disciples went back to their homes. That was in verse 10. And John probably beat him back home, too. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She still doesn't understand that it's the resurrection, that Jesus is alive. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. That is the very first proclamation of the risen Savior. I have seen the Lord. So Mary gets to see Jesus first. According to this book, She didn't recognize Jesus. She didn't expect to see Jesus. She didn't think that Jesus was going to be there. She she was not expecting a risen Savior to to come up behind her. She thought it was going to be the gardener. And she was like, hey, gardener, what have you done with Jesus? Let me go get him. she's, She's distraught. They're like, how did they not recognize that it's Jesus? Well, there's a couple of theories that maybe he was somehow different being resurrected. His resurrected form was somehow different. It could also be that she wasn't expecting Jesus to be standing there. She just wasn't expecting. It could have been earlier in the morning. She didn't expect Jesus to be standing there. So Jesus proved it to Mary by just saying her name, Mary. And instantly she knew who he was. He also appeared to the disciples Starting in verse 19, On the evening of that day, that first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are, forgiving, <clears throat> they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So here's Jesus speaking to the disciples. He appears to the disciples. And it's interesting to note, again, this is more about proving the resurrection. Jesus goes to them and says, here I am, peace be with you. And they know who he is and they know that it's Jesus. But the interesting thing is these disciples are locked away in a house out of fear. They had been locked away since Friday. They saw what they did to Jesus. They saw what the crowd did to Jesus, and they assumed that that was coming for them next. These disciples were full of fear, and so they locked themselves in a room to let everything die down. The disciples were afraid. So what happened? What happened to the disciples? If the resurrection is not true, what happened to the disciples in this moment? What happened to the disciples after this moment, in the years that followed, that all of a sudden they're full of faith and they're full of, 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 of no fear, whatever the opposite of fear is? I don't know what that word is, but whatever the opposite of fear is, courage, there we go, whatever the opposite of that is, all of a sudden the disciples had no fear. They had all of the courage to go and, and they were willing to face death. These guys were afraid and they were hiding in a room by themselves before resurrected Jesus. And then after, they're like, we're ready. Let's do this thing. Let's preach the word. I don't care what happens to us. I don't care if we die. I don't care. We are going to preach. Something switched. These were guys who were not very courageous people. In fact, on the, on the night of Jesus' death, if you remember this story, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times after spending him time with him for three years. The death and resurrection had already been prophesied, and Peter was still afraid of a few people around a fire. And they said, weren't you with him? And he denied him three times. And then afterwards, Peter becomes one of the most outspoken and leaders of the church to talk about the resurrection. These were fishermen that carried out their faith. This was not politically motivated. This was not military power motivated. This is just a guy who they encountered who turned out to be God. Last but not least, we've got Thomas. Starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, told you, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That would be a cool power to have, just saying. Like, you could just walk into an unlock or a locked door just into the room here we are don't you guys ever think about stuff like that <laughs> nobody okay <clears throat> i'm the weird one I'll, I'll that's fine then he said to thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side do not disbelieve but believe thomas answered him my lord and my god Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That last sentence is for us. That last sentence is for us, you guys. 
John chapter 20, verse, verse uh, whatever that verse is, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus is speaking to us through this. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Thomas needed to see it. He needed to see the holes in his hands and in his feet and in his side. And Jesus obliged. Jesus said, Thomas, I know what you need. Jesus wasn't there when Thomas said, unless I see this. Jesus wasn't in the room when he said that. But Jesus knew. He comes up to Thomas and said, check it out. He knew exactly what Thomas needed in that moment to believe. Because Jesus proved he is personal and accessible. It's not enough that Jesus is a resurrected Savior. It would be great if he was personal and accessible. Well, he is. It's not enough that that Jesus is a resurrected Savior and, and that's it and we can't access him. But Jesus granted us access to him and to the Father through him. And he's accessible and he's personal. And he showed it with Thomas, with his nails, scarred hands, and with his side. He said, Thomas, I know what you need, buddy. Here. He did it with Mary. All he had to do was say, Mary. And immediately she knew that it was Jesus. He did it with Peter. Beautiful thing with Peter is he allowed. Peter to be redeemed and be accessible to Jesus. In John 21, the next chapter over, and verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. The reason Peter was grieved is because just a couple of nights before, just a little while before that, He had denied Jesus three times. And here Jesus is offering him a chance at reconciliation, a chance to redeem himself by asking him the same question three times. Peter, do you love me? And that third time, Peter finally understood what was happening. Again, he's quick to speak, but slow to to listen. He finally understood what Jesus was asking him. And he was grieved because he had betrayed Jesus three times. But he has this reconciliation, this beautiful moment of reconciliation with Jesus. So how will you respond? How are you going to respond to Jesus this morning? The last bit of Scripture, the last few verses here says, In John 20, starting in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what are you going to do about Jesus? I encourage you not just to accept Jesus as the human, as a good teacher, as someone who did a lot of really good things, but as someone who is a Savior. Don't accept Jesus the human and not Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the the, the Son of God. Jesus continues to redeem, and He can redeem us this morning. Mary had lost all hope. Mary Magdalene thought all hope was lost and thought it was just the gardener talking to her. Peter was unfaithful, but he became a leader of the church and of the apostles and was a powerful preacher. There's hope for you yet. John was full of himself (laughs) and wanted to be the best, wanted to be the, the most loved, wanted to have the highest seat of honor next to Jesus. But he became a beacon of truth and of love to the people around him. Thomas doubted that there could really be a risen Savior until he saw the hands and the feet. So whatever your faults are, whatever your issues are, they don't prohibit you from coming to the cross, from coming to a resurrected Christ. Jesus takes our faults, he takes our failures, he takes our weaknesses, and he turns them into strengths. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to sing a couple of more songs. That's right, I said a couple more songs. I want to respond with this first song, and I'm just going to ask you, what are you going to do with Jesus? How are you going to respond to Jesus? You can respond by saying, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. This Resurrection Sunday, I finally understand that you proved it. And I'm ready to hand everything over to you. Maybe you're already saved this morning. Maybe you've already decided to follow Jesus, but you need a little kick in the pants sometimes to remind yourself of who Jesus is. So we encourage you to do that this morning as well. So we're going to sing. And if you want to spend some time in prayer, asking yourself, what should I do with you, Jesus? We encourage you to do that. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for your grace and for your love. God, thank you for being resurrected and conquering the grave. So that we can come to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.